Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the evening service. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. So, the reading today is taken from the book of James, uh, chapter 3. Um, it's, you're in the Pew Bibles, it's on, the, it's on page 1224. The taming of the tongue. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Those who are never at fault in what they say are perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses, We make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take a ship as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot wants the ship to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a word of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by people, but no one contain the tongue. It's a relentless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth came praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring. My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, good evening, everybody. My name is Natasha, if we haven't met, and even if we have met, good evening. It's very nice to see you all. As John said at the beginning, we are in the third week of our series talking about friendship. In the first week, we talked about Jesus reaching out to us in friendship. We have a God of friendship, a God who first extended the hands of friendship to us, and that's why we now look at each other as friends. 
In the second week, David talked about the importance of having good Christian friendships. And tonight we're going to be talking about what the Bible teaches us about being a good friend. So, as you know, if you come here regularly, we like to have a little time to talk to each other and discuss a question and also grab a hot drink or stretch your legs for a minute at this point in the service. So here is the question I would like you to ponder for a few minutes. Who is the wisest person you know? Who is the wisest person you know? And if you can't answer that, (laughs) you can think about what makes someone wise? What is it that makes someone a wise person? Okay, three or four minutes and have a chat about that. Well, I wonder what your answer was. How do we know when someone is wise? I think surely many times the answer is by the words that they say, or maybe the words they choose not to say. You see, our words hold great power, and when it comes to friendship, the words we choose to use or not to use are really significant. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. I wonder if you have been watching The Traitors. I won't give any spoilers away in case you haven't caught Friday's finale yet. But I will talk about it. This hugely popular TV series has dominated social media chat over recent weeks as one by one, those who are hidden traitors inch closer to the prize money while those who are faithfuls feel a sense of longing to connect to each other with trust. The fact that the players don't know who among their teammates is on their side and who isn't means all the while there is this suspicion between each other. As the show reaches its conclusion, that suspicion becomes even more intense as the group of participants grows fewer and fewer. Words are hugely important on the traitors. The sworn denial of duplicity that's then exposed as a lie is really ground-shifting for friends that have formed, friendships that have formed, or people that have stepped into trust with each other in previous weeks. At the end of the last series, it took only two words to change the whole course of the show. As one traitor was being banished, he took down another traitor as he revealed the name on his board. He only used two words as he did so, parting gift, before showing the name. But it was enough to send a tidal wave round the table as one by one, the remaining faithfuls realised the name on his board with the, the words parting gift had to mean that this man whose name was on the board, who they thought was a faithful, could no longer be trusted. Eight weeks of relationship were blown up by those two words. So words matter. The power of our words makes and breaks friendships. And if we're wise with our words, we build a strong foundation for our friendships that makes a crucial difference both to our own lives as Christians and to our witness to those looking on. 
So we're going to look at these words in two sections tonight, a time to be silent and a time to speak. And to clarify as I start, I'm thinking and talking here about our close Christian friendships. I'm not thinking about all those friendships that we have that don't have God at the middle. And I'm not thinking about the sort of broad friendship that we might have with people across church we don't know well. I'm thinking about those whom we walk through life with, with faith at the centre of our relationship. So firstly, a time to be silent, careful friendship. Our passage in James, which has got pretty strong language, hasn't it? In verses 5 and 6, talks about the tongue being like a fire. It says, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. And then it talks about it setting the whole course of one's life on fire. So James uses the striking images of fire to show what happens when our tongue is too loose. And this is backed up in the book of Proverbs. In chapter 26, verse 20, it says, Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Let's think a little bit about that image of fire a bit more closely. Our words can start fires. We were visiting friends in California this summer and we saw some of the impact of the notorious forest fires that plague that state. Often those fires cause acres and acres of indescribable destruction. Yet they can start by something as small as a cigarette thrown thoughtlessly out of the car window. By throwing out someone's confidences carelessly, we too can create huge damage. Hearing gossip is hard to forget, even if you don't join in. It still lodges in your mind as potential fact. Even when we don't really tell the full story about someone, we could still be gossiping. It's better not to speak at all than to say, well, between you and me, she has got a lot going on. I I can't say more than that, but... Things are pretty, you know. In some ways, I haven't said anything, but in some ways I've sown a seed that can grow roots. Resolving to never share confided truth from our closest friends means we're being careful with what they entrust to us. And avoiding gossip about other people when we're with our friends means that we show ourselves as being trustworthy because we're careful with what we do and don't say. Secondly, like a flame, our words can heat things up. Have you ever responded too quickly to a text or a comment that's been said? I really know that I have. It's one of my biggest faults that I am quick to respond. And sometimes I've caused huge damage in the process. By thoughtlessly lashing out, it's a bit like we're turning up the gas so that what might have been a comment taken one way now becomes something that we've taken on board as an insult. Before we know it, there's a rift that need never have happened. It's always better to speak to each other in person if we're worried about a remark that's written down. You see, if we pause before responding, we turn the gas back down. 
And thirdly, like a fire, our words can leave lasting damage. If you've ever seen a house that has had a fire happen, a house after a fire, the smoke and fire damage have left the frame of the house, but it's a shell of itself. As we hiked in California, we could see the impact of forest fires, the beautiful scenery of the forests. It's like the colour's been sucked out of it. It's now black, stark trees against a white background. And there's a sense of death in the silence that's strikingly different from the forest that's untouched by damage. In the same way, words can leave damage that echoes for years in the minds of those who've been spoken to carelessly. And recovery can take years before there's again the possibility of new life in the forests. In the same way, broken trust can take years to return. So what does it look like to be a careful friend? Part of it means refusing to throw our cigarette out of the car window. That means our words don't always need to be spoken. Maybe that stroppy email should stay in drafts and we should sleep on it. Maybe that flippant comment thrown out to get the group laughing at the expense of someone else would be better left unsaid. Maybe that knee-jerk return text reads instead, let's talk next time we see each other. James 1 verse 19 says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. Imagine how our friendships would flourish if we all listened more rather than bursting out in self-defense, anger or gossip. And part of being careful is being aware of the power of the tongue to change the direction of travel. James uses two pictures in verses three and four. He talks about a bit in the mouth of a horse and a rudder on a ship. Both these little pieces of equipment have power beyond their size to control something much bigger than them. But their power isn't always destructive. Part of their power is being able to change direction for good. If a horse is galloping out of control, the bit pulls the horse back to a pace that is calm. If a ship is going to crash on the rocks, the rudder steers the boat into a place that avoids damage. When we think about how to use our words in our friendships, we have the potential to steer the conversation into a place where we're pointing the direction of travel towards Jesus. Imagine instead of joining in by criticising the friend that's let them down, we instead ask our friend if they'd like us to pray with them about how hurt they're feeling. We're pulling on the bit. Imagine our friends struggling with faith and we hear a great sermon that really encourages us. Steering our friend away from the rocks may look like telling them a little bit about what we were encouraged by and suggesting they listen to the sermon when they're able to. And I believe one of the key things we need to do when it comes to using our tongues to change direction is remembering to pray first. Let's ask God to help us steer in a direction that's the right way to go. We all struggle to know what is wise, but we have a God who promises us wisdom from heaven if we ask him for it. So let's make the most of his promises and put prayer into our words before we speak them to each other.
at the end of this passage in James. James says, verses 9 and 10, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. If we pray, asking for God's guidance, we're praising God by putting him in his right place as the one directing our paths. We're letting him be in control as the one guarding our tongue. If we do that, it's much harder to immediately blurt out something cursing our friend because coming to God means we're on level ground with our friend before him. Suddenly, we're not the one who knows everything and has the power to judge. Suddenly, that's him and that's how it should be. So let's be careful, friends. Let's remember the power of fire Let's listen more than speaking, and let's pray before we use words. Secondly, there's a time when we need to speak. The Bible teaches much about how we should use our words to build each other up. I believe there are some crucial times in our Christian friendships when we would be wise to speak out and not stay silent. Firstly, the Bible tells us to speak out to help our friend's faith grow stronger. We've already thought about using our words carefully to steer our conversations away from harm. But in the New Testament, we're told to actively teach and encourage each other to live a life worthy of the Lord. You see, we want our friends to become stronger Christians because of our friendship. Gordon MacDonald said this, There's a certain niceness to a friendship where I can be myself. But what I want is a friendship where I can be better than myself. I want to be the myself that is developing each day to be more of a Christ-like person. What might this look like when it comes to the words we choose to use? How can we help our friends to become more Christ-like? I think part of this involves reminding each other of Christian truth. The good news of Jesus holds strength for each part of daily life. When our friends are going through tough times or need guidance, we can use answers to prayer we've had over the years to build them up. Or we can tell them about what we've learned that week in our times with God. Very often, God helps me to use the scriptures I've taken to heart that week to in turn encourage the heart of someone else and what they're going through. Secondly, we're told we need to help each other to stay on track. Galatians 6 verse 1 says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. So, helping each other to become more Christ-like means sometimes we need to tell our friends they're caught in sin. And the gentleness is hugely important. We find this verse really difficult because it feels very judgmental to even claim someone is caught in a sin, let alone that we have the right to restore them. But this is what is consistently taught across Scripture We need to have the boldness to gently restore our Christian friends when they're not living in a way that is Christ-like. This happened to me many years ago. 
a friend wrote to me and asked me to give her some advice. She was a Christian and she was in a relationship with another believer and they'd recently started sleeping together. She wrote to tell me her relationship with God was struggling since then and she asked me to tell her honestly what I thought about the situation she was in. Now, in many ways, I could have looked at this and said, that's none of my business, what you're doing. But I myself had come out of a situation a couple of years previously where I too had been sleeping around before I had become a Christian. When I gave my life to God, one of the many areas in which I felt strongly convicted by what I read in the Bible was about my sex life. I'd known the forgiveness of God as I brought my past mistakes in that area to him. So having experienced this, it would have been wrong for me to keep silent when my friend asked what I thought. I believed there was a block between my friend and God because of the way she was living. I'd experienced the same thing. But how could I say that to my friend without risking our friendship? Well, I trembled. And I prayed. I knew that as her sister in Christ, my role was to restore her gently. Then I wrote gently and told her what I'd learnt. I told her how much it had blessed me since my conversion to walk in the way scripture should show me was right. And although it was really hard to do that, it was the right thing to do. She told me later she was so glad that she just needed someone to tell her the answer. Now, this is one example, but it came about because of two things which I think both hold value for us today. Firstly, we need to have a careful friendship built on trust so that our words to our friends are not heard as judgments, but are words that are restorative and gently spoken. John's already given this proverb. The Bible teaches us in Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Wounds are always painful, but they're undertaken from a place of love and a desire to be true to God's word. There are always times when we will need to speak, even though sometimes our words may hurt. And we do so with great care and kindness, sometimes with trembling but we still do so. Secondly, we also need to allow restorative words to be spoken to us. My friend asked for permission. That was brave and humble of her. I didn't blunder in and tell her what I thought carelessly. I responded. In the same way as we respond to our friend's requests for advice or to keep them accountable, we also allow our friends to speak truth to us. That means weighing up our words carefully when they're spoken, asking God to teach us from them, but allowing them to be spoken in the first place. Finally, when it comes to speaking out, I believe there are times we need to work out what it means to disagree well. Disagreement between Christian friends does not always mean silence about what we disagree on. When we can love each other, but also disagree well. We model the godly friendship to the world that Jesus said would show people we belong to him. 
Our human tendency is to avoid topics of conversation where we don't agree. And this is often hardest with the ones we're closest to. Maybe we find it easier to separate into friendship groups where we all think the same on something. Or we just avoid the elephant in the room and stay at the shallow end when we chat. (laughs) Mixing my metaphors a bit. Sometimes I think authentic Christian friendship means daring to be open with each other about our differences, but doing so in a way that means we listen well to each other's point of view and we determine not to let it come between us as we have these conversations. As we talk together with our friends about issues that might divide us, let's pray with each other. Let's continue to pray and let's allow the Bible to show us how to live alongside each other in a way which is Christ-like. So we've looked at words this evening and how to use them well in our Christian friendships. We started by thinking about wise people that we know. And we're going to finish by praying now and asking God to help us use our words or our lack of words to bring godly wisdom into our conversations with each other as believers in the coming days. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you for the gift of communication. Thank you for the way you've communicated with us through the Bible. Thank you for those words that hold life and power and teach us how to live. Communication is a gift in our friendships, but it's also a huge responsibility. We want friendships that are both careful and candid, where we listen well, speak well, and know your Holy Spirit's presence helping us in each conversation that we have, both spoken and written. So we pray for your help in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.